So today I have a friend that I met at, I guess not the con, Strange Loop this last year, and we instantly hit it off and became fast friends. I would like to introduce you, drum Joe! <laughs> yeah, Joe Smith! Go, go, go on. One and only. Do, 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 do. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um so tell us a little bit about yourself. What's what's your spiel? Mm. Oh boy, that's a really broad question. Um Yeah, you should have prepared a spiel. That's like Yeah, I didn't prepare a spiel. Um all the uh pre-recording talk was uh my spiel. So now I have to I have to think through it again. Um my name's Joe Smith. My middle initial is R. Uh bonus points if you guess what that is. Um Raymond no. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you are a closure. I would say more than a developer. You are a closure engineer, and um, you have a history that goes back with Cognitech. Will you share a little bit with us about that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. How far back do you want me to go? Um, <laughs> I guess at the bottom floor. Yeah, that's you know when when I, um, I, uh, I am the uh, stereotypical uh, frustrated Java developer that in the mid-2000s was writing business logic and Java code, uh, a web application, applets, Oracle database, um, all of the horribleness uh, of enterprise Java. And I had dabbled in Haskell, um, a little bit of, little tiny bit of scheme in college. Uh, I was interested in functional programming broadly, but you know, didn't know how I could actually use it at work. And one day I had had enough and I Googled uh, Java Lisp, right? And uh, it was 2008 and Clojure came up and I read through the rationale page and I read through all the, you know, just all of the hows and whys of Clojure. And within about you know, two hours, I was running a simple REPL and compiling code, and, you know, copying and pasting examples and, uh, and yeah, it just kind of kind of took off from there. I, I did manage to sneak some production closure code into our big sprawling enterprise web app thing, um, and uh, yeah, closure just kind of became the the language used for side projects to use for uh, things I could sneak it into at work. Uh, I, I started evangelizing it, but all of my uh, coworkers were really into a language called Groovy that they swore was the future of Java, uh, and uh, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, I, I won't say anything bad about Groovy. Groovy's a neat little language, but it's it's not closure, you know. Well, I know we but try yeah, to keep I, uh, it positive. Um, we try to keep it positive here on the podcast. That was something I think yeah, I enjoyed yeah. the most with you at Strange Loop. <laughs> we were just basically, um, you know, closure closure fanboys. <laughs> He's shamelessly, shamelessly talking about data, data oriented programming. I mean, Clerge is my weapon. (laughs) I'm I'm going to evangelize. So yeah, I, you know, that was 2008. I read Stu's book, Programming Closure. I got really into it. Ended up going to another company. uh, Ended up building uh, some small web apps in Clerge. A lot of internal tooling in Clerge. the the last big thing I built in Closure there was a uh, a uh, a kiosk. Uh, well, so the the company did digital signage and custom kiosks, 
and uh, we we built this data driven kiosk software that you could you know deploy updates uh, uh, over the internet, and uh, it was all written in Clojure. Uh, it's actually still running, I think, at a mall here in Nebraska. Maybe I haven't checked recently. It's uh, one of those outdoor malls, and it's Nebraska, so the last place I want to go is an outdoor mall in Nebraska. But yeah, yeah, I uh, uh, the the canned story or the uh, the uh, the story that I always tell people is I was particularly frustrated one day at work and cold emailed uh, Cognitect, which was. Uh, relevance at the time and just said, Hey, I've been using closure for a lot of, or for a long time. I built all of these things at work in closure. Um, I'm excited about the language. Uh, I'm looking to do something new. Are you guys hiring? And at the time I had already started transitioning into consulting work. I already had a couple of clients and I was doing, uh, doing that, uh, almost, I mean, it, it became my primary thing before I started at, uh, relevance, uh, Cognitect. But um, Kim Foster <laughs> reached back out to me and started chatting. And uh, yeah, I, I started doing consulting work as an uh, independent contractor for Cognitect in, I guess, late 2013. And uh, 2015 came on full time uh, and was there through the new bank or acquisition in 2020, July of 2020. And then uh, left a month ago to yeah. pursue my own thing, which is also built in closure. <laughs> Surprise, right? <laughs> Surprise, yeah. Um, well, I, I'm really interested to talk about your new thing. I do have a question that pertains to, you know, kind of having been um, at Cognitech on the ground floor and then just witnessing that growth, um, you know, just how was it to witness that growth? Was it was it graceful, do you feel? Do you, um, was it exciting? Like, what a time to be alive, yeah, so I, I, closure as a language grew, right? Cognitech mm -hmm. did not. Cognitech was thirty odd people when I started there, and it was thirty ish people uh, at acquisition time. Uh, and Cognitech, I think, I think could be correctly described as a lifestyle company. I think everyone that worked there wanted to have a good work life balance. Uh, they wanted to work um, using a technology, work with the technology they're interested in, of course, right? Uh, I think everyone there uh, bought into riches. Uh, view of how software systems uh, can and should be uh, written, or at least a a broad uh, a broad array of software systems, if not every software system. But yeah, I I, I feel like the the growth was really um, my. This is going to sound super corny. The growth was my career and my competence as a software developer, not so much the company itself. It, it stayed mostly the same. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So you, you've, um, you, you had mentioned, um, previously that you, a lot of times with consulting, you know, they, um, the job satisfaction isn't, isn't there, but that you had a different experience when you were, um, kind of consulting with the closure crew. Well, actually, uh, <laughs> consulting with the closure crew was consulting, uh, nine out of 10 things I worked on never saw the light of day. And that, oh. that is just, yeah, I know. It, it's, just <laughs> so you lied to me. it's just the reality of doing consulting work. Um, right. You know, you're brought on to a lot of greenfield things uh, that, you know, just statistically aren't likely to make it. Uh, and uh, 
you can either have that be demoralizing or you can try to find the uh, silver lining. You know, you get to, you get to try to build something new in uh, technologies that you've ad advocated for and you get to try to, um, uh, you know, balance the, the, the politics and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, other concerns uh, that come with consulting. So consulting in and of itself can be exciting. Uh, even if what you build doesn't ever get used by anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at, at Newbank, uh, when we were acquired by Newbank, all of a sudden we became a product company. I mean, mm -hmm. prior to the Newbank acquisition, uh, Cognitech's only product was Datomic, and I wasn't on the Datomic team. Uh, so for me, it was just consulting. At Newbank, you know, we have all these products, and these products are very quickly being rolled out to real people. And... Uh, it, it it was you know despite its now large size it, it was a it was a very uh, it, it was an agile company you know like thing, things moved really fast uh, at Newbank uh, so it was exciting um, yeah but you know, things moved really fast at a tiny little fintech startup that I'm uh, working on now so <laughs> yeah I, I was I going to. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about that. So you, um, so you got all this experience working on products. Tell us about the product that you're passionate about now. Yeah. So the the company's called Crescent. Crescent Financial is our, uh, you know, official name. Uh, you can find it at crescent.app. And uh, right now we have something called Crescent Save, which is a high yield savings account. It it is backed by uh, crypto lending. And our, our mission statement long-term is to build uh, traditional financial services on crypto rails. So the idea is to give ordinary uh, financial product consumers access to this huge green field of uh, crypto products that um, are, are, are coming out. And to eventually uh, develop some of our own uh, decentralized finance products. Oh, cool. So, so would you consider yourself a crypto bro? No. An no. NFT, <laughs> NFT, or do you I, have I, any I, NFTs? I, I, I am not. I am not a Bitcoin maxi. I am not a crypto <laughs> bro. I am not a uh, an NFT collector. Um, I I'm not anti crypto, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm actually quite pro um, pro crypto. Um, I like to tell people that um, I am I am skeptical, not cynical, and I, I think. Broadly speaking, being skeptical but not cynical is a good way to approach any new technology or new idea. Um, I, I see a lot of cynicism in, you know, among former coworkers and friends of mine. And I get it. Like, I totally get it when, you know, 95% of an ecosystem is essentially a giant scam. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. Let's be totally honest. You know, uh, most of those NFTs are... Scams. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I relate to you a lot on that because now that I've been working at Vouch uh, recently, part of our tech stack is we leverage the blockchain. Mm -hmm. But it's been so, you know, so, you know, I call my parents and say, hey, I got this new job. And they're like, you know, whatever. And I, and I you know, send them the, um, I sent them the website. And of course, my father's like, oh, yeah. The crypto blockchain, like just you know, they think that like blockchain is synonymous with crypto, which is, you know, and so I hesitate to even use the word blockchain, even though we leverage it for security. I actually tend to leave it out of conversations with people 
um, if I can help it, if I am talking about, you know, what I work on and because there's so many more interesting problems that we're solving that we're doing. But it's as soon as you drop like the big B word. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so, you know, you know, and how, how do you deal with that with this product? Do you try to like do you embrace because there is a lot of, I guess, clout that comes with the crypto bros on on Twitter and that whole that whole NFT energy like definitely has energy right now. Um, you know, do you leverage that? Do you try to how, how, how are you dealing with that with this product? Um, from from a product point of view, we don't talk about it yet. We don't talk about it much uh, because the, the product we have now, um, the, the, the crypto bit of it is entirely in implementation detail. So we don't advertise it. That isn't to say that we aren't comfortable with advertising it. Uh, we do have other products that we'll roll out that are very much crypto-centric. Um, but we want to be that app that if you tell your friends you're using Crescent, your friends don't you know, look at you like you're being irresponsible. Or you hop <laughs> yeah, right. right? They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't ask why you're throwing your money away, right? right so right. We, we want to build um, useful products where uh, the... the uh, the, the relationship we have with our customers is more of a, we're going to help you make more money. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to help you. Uh, it, it, it's not going to be a, a zero-sum relationship, right? Like it is with a lot of these uh, uh, crypto apps. But, um, yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't want to sound like I don't believe in some of the uh, value prop of crypto in general. Uh, I, I think blockchain technology is misunderstood. I, I think people yes. see it as, oh, look, it's this thing that's going to scale to the moon. It's not. Um, you know, people see it as this thing that um, is uh, inherently more secure. Uh, it isn't. <laughs> uh, but then on the flip side, I, you know, I, I have people you know, joke about, oh, uh, so you're helping people launder money. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I'm not. I I'm not helping people launder money. Um, and even if I was, I, I don't know if uh, blockchains would be the best way to do it. I mean, they're, you know, completely public ledgers. You know, the, the only anonymous part of a, well, the blockchain itself is, you know, pseudo-anonymous. You don't have a name attached to every transaction, but every on-ramp and off-ramp, you know, uh, onto and off of, uh, you know, some uh, blockchain system is auditable. And, uh you know, if you if you purchase crypto with uh, Coinbase and you then transfer it to a private wallet and you then transfer it to some arms dealer in Russia and, uh, you know, they then, uh, you know, take that money and turn it back into, you know, some local currency on some exchange over there. Uh, all law enforcement has to do is <laughs> get the, uh, you know, get a warrant for uh, information on that local exchange or, or that uh, U.S.-based exchange to trace the transaction, right? And you know, sure, there there are there are systems that uh, are purpose uh, built to obfuscate uh, the origin of uh, of blockchain transactions. But even communicating with those should be a red flag, right? Much in the same way as uh, taking your money uh, out of your bank account and uh, uh, laundering it through a well-known laundering network <laughs> would be a red flag. So in a lot of ways, it, it's, it's the same financial system, just with um, more transparency um, when it comes to yeah. the actual transactions in it. And 
I, I'm, I'm rambling, but like some of the, you know, some, some of the misconceptions like uh, blockchain is scalable. Uh, blockchain is, uh, it, it is uh, indelible, <laughs> you know, it's, it's durable, um, but, but it, it is not uh, scalable in the sense that most people think of uh, scalability. Uh, you know, people don't, don't usually, uh, most people don't realize that uh, Bitcoin can handle something like 7 to 12 transactions per second <laughs> the entire network right that, that is absurdly low throughput you know i i, I can I, I can have higher throughput on my you know personal laptop for uh, transactions per second into a, a database system but um you know there 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 is a a level of inherent uh um uh like security through just transparency that you get in exchange for that. So there's an entire ecosystem that needs to be built on top of blockchain technology to enable the, the kind of throughput you need for it to actually service our, you know, the, the breadth of financial services out there, uh, different kinds of transactions and everything. And um, still uh, take advantage of those, those core value props of crypto. I am, I'm all over the place. <laughs> well, yeah. um, maybe I'll wait for a more specific question, and I'll, I'll answer things more specifically. <laughs> well, these, I mean, these are really good thoughts because it's. I think it's very interesting how um, in the oh god, I'm going to groan as I say this, but in the quote Web three space, yeah, there, um, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple different folks. There are some folks that are really excited about, like I said, like NFTs and crypto, and you know, there, there are. Um, there are folks that are excited about the, um, that it's decentralized, you know, and that's one of the main, main arguments for it is that, you know, it's as far as privacy, that your data doesn't, you know, that we are not the product. Um, and, and it's funny, then there are those, you know, I think we kind of fit into that latter category, but I think there are lots of people that are leveraging, um, blockchains for their ledgers and for, you know, for, for privacy because of, as like you said, because it has a public ledger, it's, it's secure in that way. And, um, we're kind of, I think a lot of us are like, you know, kind of blushing, looking left, looking right, like, you know, have the same attitudes that we do about like, Oh, don't say the B word. It's not crypto. It's not blockchain. It is, but it is. And it's in, and I think you were making some really great points about how, um, you know, blockchain it's, it's a tool, it's a tool and you can't get excited about one one small piece of the puzzle, um, you know, when really it's the infrastructure that's built up built up around that, and that's the special part. And all you know, blockchain and crypto is getting all the glory, but it's really all of these um, you know implementations of it that um, you know are leveraging decentralized you know um, decentralization that. You know, um, no, I, I, I definitely uh, get where you're going. Uh, so, I I like comparing um, crypto blockchain technology to drum machines in the '80s. Right, drum machines mm-hmm. became popular. Now every band is using a drum machine. Half the bands are replacing their drummer with a, a drum machine. They're using way too many drum machines. Everything is drum machine. <laughs> Right? Oh my gosh, stop, <laughs> stop. It's I just like, made a track last week and because I'm learning, I'm like, le- well, I'm learning to, um, I, I have a Casio keyboard and I got a MIDI connection. I recently got a, a MacBook so I, I can garage band and I've been making, yeah. just having fun 
making sounds, you know, yeah. uh, lo-fi hip hop beats, study and relax too, um, if you will. And yeah, I went crazy with the drum kits because they have like a whole. A they're whole, so much fun. <laughs> they're so much fun. Yes. But, I'm like, but how no, did you know? There's, there's taste. <laughs> I don't actually. I did see that you uh, you uh, linked to a song that you created, but I haven't listened uh, listened to it yet. You don't need to um, listen to it. Nobody listened to it. It's 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 called re. It's called read of our print loop, but in like leet speak. So like I don't know points for that. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so. Eventually, you find tasteful ways to use the new technology, right? Uh, we <laughs> yes. have not found, uh, broadly, uh, tasteful ways to use NFTs, but th there are tasteful ways to use them. For example, um, you know, pe people are concerned with uh, uh, balancing uh, and on, you know, having privacy in your financial transactions with uh, some level of auditability and traceability uh, you know, to stop things like money laundering and other uh, illegal activity. And uh, like, like I said earlier, it, it's the endpoints that are auditable, right? And you could, you could conceivably have, uh, you know, some, some uh, your, your, uh, your Web3 identity represented as an NFT, for example, and you could maybe essentially sign your uh, transactions with that, you know, to say that this is me. And then you could have an endpoint like an exchange or some other financial transaction between the crypto world and the non-crypto world, you know, the physical world with things that you actually want to buy and own that are not NFTs. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 you, uh, um, that you can uh, assert your identity at, right? I, I mean, yeah. it, there, there are a million use cases for uh, NFTs that aren't, uh, you know, trading some Pokemon equivalent online. There, there are a yeah. million uh, use cases for Web3 in general. Uh, my favorite one uh, is, actually, let, let me back up, with the pro uh, back up to the problem that I have with the internet at large yes. and what I would like to see fixed on the entire internet. The entire just internet. One, just one. You, you have one. One, one, one qu quell. There's actually only one problem I have with the internet. <laughs> okay. The web. Lay it on right? me. Just Go. One. Um. The, the internet is entirely supported by ads. Yes. Every damn website I go to, I can curse on this, right? Yes, um, of course. Yeah. Every damn website I go to is ad-driven. Um, mm -hmm. if, if I go to a news site, I can't tell what's news and what is pseudo-news, outbrain, tabula bullshit ad stuff, right? Well, it goes back and, to the we are the product. It goes back to like we are being used as... Um, you know, as the thing that they're making money off of. Um, I, now, I, I know that's true. I'm a little less cynical about it. I, I think the problem really is that um, uh, people aren't willing to jump through the hoops it would take to pay for content. I mean, there, there are always going to be people that just don't want to pay for content. You know, people that still use something like Napster or LimeWire or whatever the heck people use today to steal music. But a lot of people, when, when, when we made it easy for people to pay for music, they paid for music. Right. I, I pay for a, a, an Apple Music subscription. My daughter has a Spotify subscription still, um, you know, <laughs> still I, <laughs> her boyfriend gave it to her. Apparently, I don't know. I, I didn't ask. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not quite to the we don't allow Spotify in this house or whatever. It, yeah, I'm still uh, on Spotify because I'm <laughs> I'd already trained that algorithm. You know, yeah, like I already, I trained it. I trained it up well. I got, I got playlists of people. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we died. You were there first, right? Like, why should you yeah. have to leave? Right, right, right. Exactly. And uh, well, I won't even get into my views on, 
you know, um, speaking of like witch hunts, um, I'm not fully caught up on everything, but Joe Rogan has made a lot of content. And as a content producer myself, you know, I imagine that if I had been just getting stoned and speaking freely for eight hours a day for the last 10 years, 15 years, however long he's been doing that, I am sure you could find some things that could make me look horrible. Like even my like three episodes, I'm sure if you pulled things out of context, you know, you could make me sound like an asshole. So yeah, that's, again, we, I digress, but, um, so Spotify, Spotify and Apple. <laughs> yeah. We like to pay for, uh, yeah. I'll happily pay. Yeah, for you'll happily pay for things that are, that, that are rich content that you want. You know, you'll, you'll yes. buy eBooks, you'll buy music. And I, I think if it was easy, like really easy, people would pay for news. If you go to WashingtonPost.com or WallStreetJournal.com and you're confronted with a paywall and you're being asked to subscribe for a month or a year or whatever ridiculous uh, term that they're, they're confronting mm-hmm. you with, and even if it's a dollar, like it, it's not the dollar, it's the, it's the fact that I only want to read this one article. I'm going to have to remember to cancel my subscription at the end of the month or else I'm going to get charged like $70. And the worst part about it is, is I have to go find my wallet, find my Visa card, type in my credit card number. And the worst part, the absolute worst part is after I do all of that and I hit submit, it takes me to their front page and not the article that I was trying to go to. Right. That just like, sounds like bad user experience. So that sounds it, like it a bad, was, that's, that's a design. But, but, but so much of the bad user experience is because of the, the, uh, of the, the payment flow. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And, and. I, I understand why these paywalls don't let you pay for just one article. It, 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 it is not worth it to them to pay, you know, the Visa MasterCard network fees uh, for a 25 cent transaction. Right. Um, but I would totally pay a quarter to read, you know, some investigative journalism piece, you know, on one of the, the popular news websites, if it was convenient. And, uh, you know, with Web3 and crypto payments, I could do that. I could literally hit a single button to authorize a small payment and be done with it, be past the paywall. And you know what? I could, I, I could, I could allot myself, you know, $20 a month to buy content on the web and just have it in a crypto account connected to my web browser. And as I'm browsing the Internet and, and being confronted with uh, – yeah, what, what, what's the uh, HTTP payment required? Is it like 422 or whatever? It's whatever so that is, we could actually start using some of that uh, long-forgotten uh, HTTP infrastructure to support this new non-ad-driven web economy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what, what kills me is none of this is hard. I, you could, a, a, an intrepid developer at Washington Post could implement this in a week. It just isn't hard. Now, the, the hard part is, uh, you know, getting people completely unfamiliar with crypto um, wallets and understanding how to, you know, secure them and use them and all of that. But um, browser integration, you know, so far with like browsers like Brave, um, not, this is not a me advocating for Brave. I don't really like Brave, but. Oh, spicy. Yeah. Oh, I'm not supposed to say. Yeah, I, I actually don't know if there are any rules. About I mean, your maybe. opinions are your own. Yeah, totally. If you don't like something, say it. We like to get spicy. You know, I love to get spicy. Spicy is like my middle name. Like Lambda I Spicy Miller I, is. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I, I just. 
So you don't um, like Brave, but Brave does have that integration already. It, it does have an integration, I, and, and I think it's a good example of how uh, seamless it really could be you know, for your average mm-hmm. web user. Um, but yeah, that, that's my one problem with the entire internet is the ad-driven nature of it. Okay, let me um, ask your opinion on this. So say that somebody did do that. Um, what would you say to the volatility of a lot of common, let's say you're keeping them, you're keeping your Bitcoins. Oh my gosh, I'm going to sound like I do. you're keeping your Bitcoins in, in Ethereum or, you know, one of these um, currencies that kind of goes up and down because I guess I'll elaborate. Um, I don't know, a year or two ago, sometime in the past five years, I was like, okay, okay, crypto. And I made a Coinbase account. I invested in some you know, uh, fairly stable coins. And the thing is, though, is I purposely disable all notifications on my phone because I don't need my phone telling me what to do with my dopamine. You know, I'll open it eventually. And so the problem that I ended up having is um, because I wasn't checking it all day, every day, and like a lot of quote, cryptocurrency investment to me just looks very much like gambling almost in a way where you kind of get, you know, I see people, like, I feel like one of the only ways that you can be successful with it is wake up in the morning, check it all day, every day, you know, buy the dip, this, that, the other. And, um, (laughs) you know, like I, I didn't have time for that, but, but what ended up happening is I invested in, you know, didn't look at it for a month, looked at it a month later, and like all of my money was gone. And I was like, wait, this this sucks. Never trying this again. That was like a nice hundred dollar experiment. Like, yeah. you know. Well, I, I would first say don't conflate um cryptocurrencies at large with uh Web3. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um there there are stable coins which are pegged to the US dollar. They'll always be worth oh. you know, one USDC is worth one US dollar. Mm-hmm. And um I would probably fund my uh, my crypto web content account with something like that. There, di- di- different cryptocurrencies serve different purposes. Obviously, right? Like the yeah. the Ethereum uh, ETH, uh, it, its purpose is to support the Ethereum uh, ecosystem. So Ethereum has smart contracts, and you can create your own tokens on it, and your tokens can serve different purposes. And there are there's lots of cool, like genuinely cool tech uh, being deployed to Ethereum. And then there are cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which serve uh, almost no purpose whatsoever, other than ostensibly being a replacement for money. But you know, what it really is, is a speculative asset. And you know, if you buy at the right time and sell at the right time, maybe you make some money, uh, or maybe you lose your shirt, you lose your $100. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I definitely don't think you can throw them all in the same uh, category. In fact, I I can say lots of uh, objectively negative things about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an ecological disaster, right? The amount of energy used to mine Bitcoin uh, offsets most of the energy that we uh, have, or most of the clean energy that we've added to the grid in the past five years. That Mm -hmm. is just like atrocious, right? And um, I, I, I don't think it's something we should sweep under the rug. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think companies that are involved in crypto uh, should push to get that fixed. And there, and there are ways to fix it. Uh, Ethereum, for example, it is also a proof-of-work uh, cryptocurrency, and uh, it also has a relatively bad um, carbon footprint. 
but they have a plan for fixing that, and their plan is to switch to a, a different um, security model called proof of stake. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, the, the the difference is just ridiculous. Like it's like ninety nine point five seven percent less energy use than uh, proof of work. So it'll drastically uh, clean up Ethereum. And there's no technical reason why Bitcoin couldn't do the same. I think there's a lot of uh, Bitcoin maxi reasons why it won't happen. You know, there are a lot of people that are just ideological about what Bitcoin is today and are opposed to changing it. Uh, But those opinions change over time, too. You know, Bitcoin has changed and it will continue to change. And it is demonstrated that um, consensus to move in a different direction can happen. So. Or, you know, maybe uh, uh, people just get fed up with the fact that Bitcoin is such an ecological disaster and they move to something else. Um, there, there, there's, no, there's no intrinsic value in Bitcoin, right? It's not like, it's not like Ethereum, for example, where you have um, this entire network of uh, DeFi um, projects uh, running on it. Nothing really runs on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, well, that, before really this turns... Up. <laughs> before this turns into like a crypto <laughs> podcast um i guess we'll shift in um a different direction here well well first um i guess i will you know just to tie this up um ask you about it's crescent.app um yep. is there anything else you wanted to speak to with with that product and what you're doing anything else you're excited i don't want to you know um close that chapter of this podcast without you know Giving you a one one last chance to <clears throat> plug it shamelessly. Plug it shamelessly, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, all you know, this is a this is a podcast, a, a technical leaning podcast. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Well, there's like 20 listeners, and they're all closure devs, so I would say, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Thank so, you for your support. Uh, yeah. I, I obviously there is a language that starts with a C and a database that starts with a D that. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, believe will help us achieve our goals quicker and uh, allow us to uh, pivot when necessary quicker than competition, just be more competitive in general. Um, you know, Clojure and Datomic are our weapons of choice. And I, I believe that um, I, I, you know, as an example of this in the large, I, I really, I, I do believe that a lot of Nubank's success can be attributed to flexible uh, technology. You know, Closure and Datomic played a material role in helping make new banks uh, successful. And uh, the way that we're trying to use Closure and Datomic at Crescent uh, is much the same way. We're, we're using it as a competitive advantage. Yeah, I love that, that Closure and, Closure and Datomic are the weapons of choice. Make yeah. us spry against competition. Um, okay, well, so we'll take it to a little bit more of a fun place because, as you mentioned earlier here, you live in Nebraska. You said because that? the you said here in Nebraska, I developed some software that was on a kiosk in an outdoor Nebraska mall where you will not find me in the winter. <laughs> but yeah, to yeah. touch on that, I remember you um, telling me when we were at strange loop about, um, I think I met a couple of your Nebraska friends, right. And it it was, it was a fun, a fun little crew. Um, will you, and if I remember correctly, something about you started this dinner party, it's, um, 
you know, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I consider myself a foodie and, um, it, it goes back to uh, 2012 when me and my wife bought our first house and we had a house, you know, a place where we could entertain and no event really, uh, to, you know, uh, uh, to justify entertaining, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so we, we started something called foodie Friday where every, it, it, the first year it was every single Friday, uh, starting in, um, I guess starting in 2013, uh, we'd have, you know, 10, 20, 30 of our closest friends over for a dinner party and I would cook. <laughs> wait, and, wait, 30, uh, 30 friends you got, you y'all were able to get together 30 friends in Nebraska. Yeah. It, 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 it's gotten a little out of control. Uh, right now, uh, our, our table, our current table seats about eight and you can cram comfortably, maybe another 10 people into our living room. And then there's like room for five people to stand in the kitchen. Uh, but when you get up to like 30 plus people in our house, you have people eating on the stairs. Um, you know, the, obviously the deck and patio is uh, sometimes available if it's not freezing cold outside or stupidly hot and windy. But yeah, uh, we, we started holding these dinner parties called Foodie Friday. And there'd be a different theme. And, you know, it'd be like Northern Indian cuisine night or Sichuan stir fry night or, uh, you know, Filipino food night or whatever. I'm half Filipino, so I've done a good amount of uh, Filipino cooking. And yeah, it, it just became a thing. And uh, we, we scaled it down to every other week in 2014, and we kept that up for a few years. And then the pandemic hit, and we uh, more or less stopped them outright. And that was really sad, but we started holding uh, more intimate, smaller ones outdoors uh, later in 2020. And then... Um, have gotten together, uh, uh, sporadically, uh, since, but we're building a house right now built entirely around entertaining. <laughs> so, uh, bigger kitchen, more, uh, dining space, uh, bigger living room, uh, bar area. Uh, and it, I don't think it's a stretch to say where we've, we've built, uh, probably three quarters of our house around the idea of entertaining for things like foodie Friday. It's going to be awesome. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome that you've, uh, kind of created almost like, it sounds like a little community. Now all, are a lot of these people tech people? It's just anybody you meet. Cause like food is kind of the great bringer together. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, what definitely. does that look so, like? It, it started as, um, you know, a couple of my friends, uh, a couple of my wife's work mm-hmm. friends and, uh, you know, that was it maybe, you know, 10, 12 people. And then, um, I started working at a co-working space in 2013 and started inviting people out of the co-working space. I'd already been involved in the the local startup scene for a few years at that point. Uh, So the co-working space plus my involvement in the the local startup scene um, kind of transformed Foodie Friday into something of a a startup, tech startup ecosystem thing. I'd say three quarters of the people there were in that space. So that was kind of cool. but yeah, I mean, it, it's totally open to anyone. There, it's a reflection okay. of our friend group, of course. I'll call you. Um, what was that guy in um, Silicon Valley? Peter Gabriel was that? Was it, was that the the you know that show? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So okay, it's still related to food. I saw that I um a tweet <laughs> where you had said one of your favorite things to do is to tweet about insert food health benefits. 
Like you just oh, well, enjoy not, not like, so much tweet about it, but like uh, Google it, right? Right, so right, right. You in, said in the tweet you like to do that, but yeah, what is the craziest thing you've learned from doing this? From just like googling, like fried chicken health benefits. Yeah, everything has a health benefit. Like every, you can find a website supporting the health benefits of literally any food, any food. Now you know you start with health benefits of kale. Okay, you know there's a whole bunch of good things about kale. Uh, health benefits of uh, fried chicken was one I, I Googled, and well, it turns out there there's some good evidence that fried chicken is good for you, or at least there's some sketchy evidence out there on the internet. <laughs> yeah, has this been, been like peer reviewed? Like, what do we, and also, oh, what is the definition not. of good for you? Because, okay, I guess technically it ha- it's protein. It's got protein, so, <laughs> uh, it's, it's relatively filling. Um, the, 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 particular health benefit was less of a benefit and more of a, it's not terrible for you if you just completed a 15 mile run and you just need, (laughs) you need some calories. Um, but no, it's fun. Um, actually how, how it usually goes down is I'm eating something relatively healthy and I just want to learn about it. So I'll go on these like deep dives, you know, I'll, I'll be eating, uh, like, uh, I love pine nuts. I don't know if you've had pine nuts. Pine I nuts love pine Yeah, and pesto. Well, I had, I, they're oh, yeah. expensive. They're like the little, yeah, the little nuts expensive. that are way, you're stupid expensive, but they're delicious. They're stupid <laughs> Very like, But if you, if, you, if you reframe their cost in terms of uh, alcoholic drinks at a bar, all of a sudden they're very cheap. Right. Like, Wait a minute. That's I, not a fair trick. You can't just uh, reframe anything as far as like, well, what was that uh, McDonald's chicken nuggets commercial? It's like that costs 100 orders, dollar orders of chicken nuggets. Like, you can't, I don't think it's fair to apply that reasoning. I, I do what I have to do to justify what I want. Um, mm-hmm. At least when it comes to, to spending way too much on uh, certain foods. But, yeah. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm going to spend $5 on a beer at a bar... You know, five dollars will buy me a a lot of pine nuts. Mm-hmm. Especially if you got but the anyway, Costco uh, membership. I, I I should get a Costco membership. It's literally like five blocks what? from me, and I don't you have don't one. have. And you've been hosting parties for like thirty people the past the past. Like oh my oh my goodness! I, I am a I am a one person who lives alone and doesn't entertain very much. Membership. Yes, and I have a Costco membership. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's good. So what is, what's, uh, what's your favorite food Oh God. you've ever made or eaten? You've ever oh, made. God. Okay. My, I, 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 I don't know if I should really call it my favorite food, but it's my favorite food I can think of right now is a mm-hmm. uh, cow which is a, uh, it's a Thai street noodle curry dish, which is just fantastic. It's, um, uh, it's this, uh, coriander and, uh, pandum based, uh, curry sauce with, um, uh, usually rice noodles, and then the garnishes are what it's all about. And, and for the protein, I, I really like it with uh, scallops. It's fantastic with scallops. But um, the garnishes are really where it's at. Um, the garnishes are usually um, pickled mustard greens. So you got that sour component, that fermented sour component. Onions, you got that component. Um, uh, coconut cream, so you got that sweet component. Um, uh, chili oil. So you got that spicy uh, component, and then um, I like it with uh, some fried uh, rice noodles also on top of it to add a little bit of crunch. But all of that together, and then usually like some lime or something, right? 
Uh, but all of that just comes together into this like perfect combination of savory from the curry sauce and you know spicy and sour and sweet and it, it's just fantastic. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I made I it a few times. It's not even that hard, but uh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, something you said reminded me of. Um, have you ever? Do you know about the book? It's called The Flavor Matrix. No. Oh my gosh! I would think you'd be. Oh my god! You'd be so into it. Oh, you're going to love, uh, you're welcome. You're, I'm just, you're welcome right now. Um, I believe I, the flavor matrix. So they took an IBM supercomputer because we know as humans, culturally, we know about certain um, food pairings when it comes, like we know that tomato and basil, they go well together. It's a known when we think about that. So when you're using tomato, you think to add basil. And, um, and but a lot of those are kind of culturally and, um, you know, by region, things have evolved that way. And what the Flavor Matrix did is they took an IBM supercomputer and they analyzed foods for their different um, um, almost terpenes in their different flavor profiles, like on the scientific level that's above my head. And they um, and they ran it in the computer to find – and what the result is, is each food has a visual matrix of things that it goes well with and things it doesn't go as well with based on the, um, you know, flavors and alcohols and all of that kind of stuff. And um, the book has you find some really, I love cooking with it because I'm very, um, like, in, I don't like recipes, a very inspired cook. You know, I like to just open my fridge and see. It's like a creative endeavor. Sure. And it's very inspirational where I'm like, okay, these mushrooms are going to go bad. Let me turn to the page on mushrooms and see what surprise. Oh, goes with strawberry. Cool. Okay, let me try that. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun, a fun tool to um, to work into cooking. So if you enjoy cooking in that, you know, in that kind of creative way, that's a that's a great book to get into. I, I'm looking forward to it tomorrow, March second, estimated delivery. <laughs> uh. <laughs> It's it's a good book. It's a good book. I, I time and time again, I fall back to it. Um, yeah, no, that, that that sounds like a tool. Um, I need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's where you find out that uh, like oysters go well with uh, what would it be? Pomegranate. Um, Actually, I remember in the book it, that's really? that's one of the, one of the best pairings is um, oysters and oysters pomegranate. And pomegranate. Yeah, I would have never. And so, <laughs> and, um, yeah, you can do actually a pairing that I, I learned this from the book because I, uh, I, seafood is the prime, pr- pr- um, primary part of my diet. And um, so oysters and then if you pair it with a champagne that has pomegranate juice in it, like a not super, not, you know, not, not the super, like Corbell level champagne, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, not cooks, but like Corbell. <laughs> And that is a really, really delicious pairing to do, um, like okay. oysters and champagne with pomegranate in it. Fancy. Sounds fancy. So, um, man, time flies when you're having fun. We're kind of getting to the uh, the end of the hour here. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything, you know, heavy on your noggin? Oh, boy. Um. What would I want to share? So we've talked about food. We've talked about closure a little bit. We've talked about crypto and Web3 and the the one problem with the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. 
I didn't get you started on data oriented programming, data driven uh, uh, versus FP, but that's the thing. I think that's something that you and I definitely like. I don't even I, want to open the door because <laughs> we could both go have, for hours. Three more hours. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, yeah, maybe another I, time. I, maybe next time. Yeah, I don't know. Um, see, is there anything else I want to plug? Um, oh, there is something else I want to plug. So I. Oh. Just shameless plug. I've got this um, this side project that I've been working on since uh, 2018. Uh, a friend of mine, Liz Whitaker, uh, started it. It's called Pawlytics, P-A-W-L-Y-T-I-C-S. And it's, uh, it's software for shelters and rescues to manage their animals and uh, their operation. And it's the most rewarding project uh, that you could imagine because... If you're, if you're ever stuck on a hard problem with it and frustrated, all you have to do is randomly look up a pet picture in the database. You're all better. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been like my pet project. Uh, okay. Tell me about the text. Is it Enclosure? It's Enclosure, right? Of course it's Enclosure. Yeah. Oh it, my it, goodness. It, I'm it, so excited. Enclosure and Datomic. And uh, it's fa- what's fantastic about Datomic for a project like this, where it, it's it's been evolving for four years and the data model is, you know, uh, very much just-in-time uh, data modeling, right? And integrations with all of these uh, partners like PetFinder and Adoptive Pet and you know, all these other websites. Uh, the great thing about Datomic is it it offers you the, the the schema flexibility you need to actually support that uh, without having to do explicit database migrations every time you make a big change and um, uh, a really powerful query model. So I, I can ask the most ridiculous questions uh, in Datomic uh, data log about you know uh, pets in our database now versus a year ago you know um, uh, relationships between different organizations pets and adoptions and uh, it, it's just been fantastic and I can't uh, I can't imagine having built uh, it uh, on the shoestring budget that it's been built on uh, without closure and datomic it's actually the uh, not widely talked about a success story, at least from my point of view, uh, with uh, Closure and Datomic at, at a very small scale. I, I mean, there are, there are you know, a couple thousand organizations in it and, you know, probably close to 100,000 pets in it now. So it's, it's growing. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's just been a lot of fun. People well, should I check definitely, out. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. Um, actually, how oh, I... I was going to say, it's entirely pun-driven. So even the name is a pun, right? Every, every, I don't think you can go two paragraphs on the website without running into a pun. It's just all puns. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm definitely going to use it. So I, um, I'm very active um, at my local uh, SPCA. I, I foster cats. And I've had um, three successful fosters so far where they, you know, come in as kittens and I nurse them back. And, you know, I, I do the interviews to find out where they get to live forever. And But a lot of our communication right now is through, like, the Facebook group, which means mm. I have to go on to Facebook. And they, like, they post the available fosters that are coming in on, like, a Google document, basically. And it's just, like, not a great system. And so I can totally totally see i personally i'm going to look about talking to my local spca to see if we can adopt this um product because they need they need they need something like i said it's just like facebook groups google docs and they're they're so they're working on volunteer anyway you know they don't have 
the budget yeah. or the time or to even think about it. So if you can tell them, hey, use this, they'd probably be like, heck yes, we will use that. Um, oh, I'm so glad you thought about that. And I I mean, does does it need any more contributions? Is it pretty it's, um, uh, stable? Like what? I mean, it, it it's it's four years of iterating. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some tech debt that needs to be paid down. We're, we're currently in the middle of a, a front-end uh, refactor. Uh, but oh. it's, uh, you know, it's stable. You can use it. And we're, we're really responsive to suggestions. So if, if, a, if a new rescue or shelter comes on board and they have a particular need and it's something that we can, you know, reasonably implement, we'll implement it. Is the front end, it's done, is it done in ClojureScript? Unfortunately, the front end is not ClojureScript. Uh, hey, that's that's okay. That's 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 okie dokie. I um, it, it is a React app, um, which is fine. You know, it's a GraphQL API. Native no, or web no. app? It's a web app. Okay, yeah. cool. There's a mobile. Okay, that's uh, it's yeah. mobile friendly too. You know, because a, a lot of our rescues use it out in the field. But mm-hmm. yeah, backends all Clojure, Datomic, Clojure, uh, Datomic Cloud. Uh, in fact, it was one of the. Mm-hmm first atomic cloud projects I was aware of at least. Oh, cool. So yeah, I mean, that means nothing I heard there is going to disqualify me from checking it out and seeing, you know, making random, random contributions. If you get a message at 3am, like what's the API for this thing? There's no documentation. How do I run this? Like, I mean, although I don't, I don't have as many of those questions now because with closure, everything is so CLJ flag build the thing it's pretty yeah it, 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 it is a it is a commercial product though so the, the code's not out there unfortunately oh i thought it was open source oh uh, no. well then it, it's it, it, it's um the the monetization model is a dollar per adoption oh well can we donate uh, okay whatever i'll put it in the show <laughs> notes whatever 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 you give me um that is totally yeah. worth plugging with the paw paw plugging it, it it is a it is a certified B Corp, so mm-hmm. you know feel good about that. Cool, cool. Well, um, if that if that was the last of the the plug in the last thoughts you had, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to leave off on. And yeah, I, I really I, appreciate I, you I, finally I, finally I, joining me because it's yeah it's been a while, but um, and it was really great to hear what you're working on, and uh, we will. Stay tuned to hear more from you on the, what's, what, Twitter is probably, like what, plug your Twitter. Twitter. (laughs) I try to keep Twitter relatively professional, yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so thank you so much, Joe. We will talk to you next time. Bye.